Welcome back to the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast. I'm Anne Collins, your host, and I'm delighted to share with you another inspiring conversation with a leader who loves what they do. For those who don't know me, I'm a qualified and accredited international executive and leadership coach, and I'm also the director of the Belfort School of English in France on the Swiss-German border, where I've lived with my family for 10 years. I help high-achieving executives working in global companies or organizations to build a career that they love, to lead effectively with purpose, and to have an impact beyond their organization, creating new possibilities for others. So today I'd like to welcome Linda Mueller. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us today for a very special podcast about leaders and their families as they move around the world. And I must say, as we record this in June in the Northern Hemisphere, um, we're moving into that time of year again when people relocate with school-aged children before the start of the school year. So I think it's a very timely position in the year to talk about this. So Linda is a certified life coach who empowers expat partners accompanying leaders on their missions overseas to create a life that they love one filled with purpose connection and a renewed sense of self with extensive personal and professional experience abroad and as a three-time repat she utilizes all that she has learned and experienced to coach expat partners with compassionate accountability during all stages of the expat repat cycle linda is a former corporate climber with more than 10 years of expat partner experience in asia the Middle East and Europe. So she fully understands the opportunities and the challenges that expat partners encounter while living abroad. And she's passionate about supporting those who are on a similar journey. So why is this important for leadership? So when people take on global leadership roles that require relocation, either locally or internationally, a whole family is often affected. And we see often that these relocations work best for everyone, not unsurprisingly, if it is a positive experience for the whole family. So I can vouch for this from personal experience, as can Linda. So I hope today we can share some of our insights. So welcome, Linda. Hello, Anne. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. I just want to say to the to our listeners that actually we connected on Instagram a few months ago and we've since become friends and shared a lot about our coaching work. And I think that in itself is an illustration of something that I'm sure we will talk about later, about the richness of creating connections across the globe. So thank you, Linda. So it's, it's really a pleasure. So Linda, you had a very successful career in corporate America that you gave up to support your husband in his career. And that has involved senior leadership positions across the the world. And so you became an expat wife. It's certainly been an amazing adventure for you all and taken you to some amazing places. So what has inspired and more importantly, sustained you along the way? Yes, it's been quite a journey. And what's inspired and sustained me has evolved over time, to be honest with you. You know, it started out that it was living out my hopes and dreams, like chasing experiences and opportunities. And it was all very external in retrospect. I often say that my mobility is in my blood because my own family moved four times before I was 10 for my father's job. And at that point, I was a voracious reader as a child. Books took me to different times and places, and I wanted to see the world firsthand. So I had opportunities to study abroad three times. And then after I graduated from school, I started traveling extensively, personally and professionally. But my my corporate career took me on two and three week trips to different regions of the world a few times each year. And I thought I was just living the life and filling all my dreams. But my identity was really wrapped up in that career. So when my husband came home and said, hey, what do you think about moving to Tokyo for my career? It really ended up changing the trajectory of my life. When I moved to Japan, 
I held on to my career, but stepping off of the traditional corporate path turned that three and a half year period into a crash course in personal development because I basically embraced everything that expat life had to offer. I learned how to speak Japanese. Then I was taking cultural classes, traveling, volunteering. I ended up starting up a consulting business, but I eventually hired a life coach because even though I was really enjoying all of this, it was really conflicting with my vision of my, my longer term career. But that's sort of what led to the evolution. So when my daughter was born, we had just moved to Tokyo for the second time and something shifted and what inspired and sustained me became much more internal. So at this point, I started trying to be the best version of me and giving her all of the experiences I dreamt of as a child while also creating a solid foundation, like giving her a sense of unconditional love, home and belonging while we moved all around the world. We repatriated four years ago, and while my family is still my top priority, I now find myself being inspired and sustained by the work I'm doing. We met over social media. I mean, it's been amazing to be connected with so many people with similar experiences. And then I'm using all of my life lessons to help expat partners make the most of their time abroad. And it really helps me make sense of my own journey and how my life has turned out, which is so different from what I expected as a child. It's amazing. And the trajectory that you've had and the, and the changes that you've brought about, what would you say were the most important things? I mean, obviously, the actual travel itself, I'm sure, prompted you to make those changes. But what shifted from that external validation, as you, you said, to that more internal feeling of wanting to pursue something? When I was younger, I felt like I needed all that external validation. But then what ended up happening is that I said to myself, oh, I'm traveling around the world. I'm looking, I'm trying to find myself. Where do I really belong? Who am I? But then over time, when that shift happened after my daughter was born, I went through my own life coaching program. And I really realized that I was traveling around the world and peeling off the layers of expectations from society and my upbringing and the culture I was raised in and really getting back to who I I really am. As you say, that personal development journey was was huge for you. It was. And like I said, I feel like I've almost come back to my inner child. I'm having fun. I'm balancing working and being with my family and with my friends. Like I feel like I have a much more rounded life now than I would have if I would have stayed on that corporate path. Yes. And I know that now you're working with partners of global leaders as an expat coach. And I know that you feel very strongly that they, they need specific support beyond the practical help, because I know that often people will get help with finding a house, finding schools, finding the local doctor and that kind of thing. What would you say beyond that practical stuff? You've mentioned a few of them already, but what do you think are the main challenges that expat partners face typically? It depends on what your situation is, what you're coming from. But in general, I would say that there's three fairly common challenges. The first one is just the adaptation. The expat partner often takes the lead on the entire expat cycle from preparing to move to going through the honeymoon period, the culture shock, the adaptation, and then even the repatriation. So it's a lot to take on. And when you're doing that in another country where you're not familiar with the culture or the language or whatever else you're dealing with that's different, it can be extremely stressful it's down to a loss of independence and control, especially if you're in a situation where 
there's laws that don't allow you to behave the way you did in your home country, or you have a language barrier because then you become very dependent on other people for everything, you know, setting up house, getting food, figuring out transportation, whatever it may be. And then the other thing that complicates the adaptation is that not all family members are probably going to go through the cycle of, you know, the honeymoon period and the adaptation and that at the same time. So that can create a lot of emotional upheaval at home. And I think this is a period when you need to give yourself a lot of grace. And it also helps if there is some sort of support, be it from the company, the school community, if you have children or a professional, you know, a coach or a consultant that can help. And that actually leads me to the next one, which is connections. I think what ends up happening is that expat life can be very lonely and isolating and it can hit you at any point. I mean, sometimes you immediately get to the country and you think, oh no, I don't know anyone. My friends and family back home don't really understand what I'm going through. Sometimes they just want to hear the highlights. They, you know, if you start complaining, they say, why don't you move home? But I really, really encourage people people to try to start networking in the home country as soon as they know that they're going so that can help them speed up their adaptation and help them through the culture shock. You know, for example, reach out to your network and say, who knows somebody in in the country I'm moving to or get on internations or endless groups that are out there and just start to make that network because it can take time to make real friends. And, but it can also sometimes take time just to figure out who your casual acquaintances are going to be. So having that network up front, I think is a, a big help. And finally, loss of identity, which is one that's really close to my heart because regardless of what the expat partner was doing in their home country, they most likely stepped out of a career or some other purposeful activity. And now they're left to sort out the entire life for the family in a new country. And a lot of what you're trying to do that seems quite basic can be very mind numbing, but it can also be very challenging because it's one of those things where you just don't know what you're going to face day to day. And I've also seen seasoned expats suddenly feel like they need more purpose in their life. So this identity loss may not hit right away when the partner goes overseas, but it may be something that sort of bubbles up over time. Faced it myself. We had seven international moves over 13 years. And every time we repatriated, we thought it was going to be forever. So I had to basically reinvent myself. And that's why I'm on a mission to help other expat partners find purpose and create a life that can actually flow through the ups and downs of the expat cycle. And often what it really entails is redefining what purpose is now that they've experienced a very different life living overseas, like what they valued in the past may have shifted. So purpose itself may need to be redefined. Yes. And it's, uh, as you say, it's such a change in identity, isn't it? When you suddenly don't have that job that you've, that you've always had, you haven't got that place in society as well as even the same status in some way. It's a big, big adjustment. And, and also, and coming home, as you say, brings its own challenges. I just want to bring you back to the impact on companies. How important is it, do you think, for companies to be involved in this aspect of relocation, whether that's moving to another country or domestically, or whether that it's moving back home in a inverted commas. How important do you think it is that companies provide this kind of support that you're providing? I think it's really important because the reality is, is that an expat assignment is very expensive for a company, but if an expat fails because the family's not happy or for any reason, it's also really going to hurt the productivity because the amount of time it takes for an employee to actually physically move and get up and running is quite a, a long bit of time. To be honest, never really had a lot of support. When we moved beyond relocation, I did see a variety of different options for friends with associated with different 
different companies, but it never really went beyond cultural training, which a lot of people would say to me, yes, I had the cultural training, but now I'm sitting here and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life or my child has these issues and we don't have any resources to try to figure out how to make it work. So I think it's really a small investment for the companies to provide ongoing support for the families compared to what it would cost for an expat to have to repatriate early. You mentioned a little bit about your personal experience. What were the biggest challenges for you? It was different every time. The first time we went overseas really was that I didn't have a child. And I remember my husband went off on his first business trip and I sat in our empty apartment because our container hadn't arrived yet. And I just looked at the walls and I just thought, what did I do? I was interested in international travel since a child, but I was also very interested in having a career. So I chose to go overseas, but I really was worried that I had ruined my life because my identity was so tied up in my job. And I say that when I was given a non-traditional leave of absence from the company to cover the entire three years we were supposed to be overseas, and I was able to consult at the local subsidiary. So I had opportunities that a lot of professional partners don't have, but it was very difficult because my I was so used to going into the office and leading a team and being part of that team. And all of a sudden I was on my own and I had to figure out how to make friends and what to do with my time. And so what did you do to get over that? I really forced myself to just get out there. It was 2004. So the Tokyo American Club was still very active back then. A lot of these clubs are also kind of downsizing because companies aren't paying for them. So that's another issue that expat partners are facing these days is that some of these resources that existed in the old days are no longer what they were. But I went to Tokyo Here and Now, which was a uh, an orientation program. And I met all of the people, they put us in groups by age. So I was with the 25 to 35 year old no kid group. Some of the people I became very, very close friends with. And we started exploring the city. And these were my partners in crime as we were doing craft classes. I'd come home and my husband would say, say, what is this? And I'd say, I made it. And he would say, who are you? (laughs) Like my wife (laughs) used to just work all the time, but it was so helpful to have that group. And then it led to some longer term friendships. And then other places I live, that type of thing didn't exist. And so it was really on me to put myself out there in the school community, to show up at the different events, to go and test out the different expat focused groups. And, you know, it's a lot of work. It's in some ways, it's like going back to high school because you're meeting people and you're trying to figure out who you can be friends with. But at the same time, if you don't put yourself out there, it's really difficult. So having the confidence to do that is quite something I would imagine for some people that's not easy. That's one of the big issues that I support expat partners on is sort of how to maintain those relationships at home because they're so valuable, but they can become strained because all of a sudden you're living very a very different life than the people back home. But then at the same time, how to create meaningful connections in your home country because you have your sort of necessary connections, people that can help you and support you. But then you also want to have those friends that really understand you on a deeper level and that, that you can be there for each other when times get get tough or have good times together. Sometimes people tend to be friendly with the people that come to them easily, but with a little bit of strategy, you can actually really find friends that are like-minded, that have the same interests. So creating those connections and uh, finding the right people is really key, isn't it? 
It really is. And the highlight of basically every international experience we've had. I mean, we just had friends with us over the weekend that we met in 2005, the first time we were in Tokyo. And now we both have a child and our lives have evolved and changed, but we still have that connection from those uh, experiences we shared together way back when. Yes. And I, I certainly can vouch for that with friends from many, many years ago. It's amazing that that connection remains very strong, even though we don't see each other very often. Those, those shared adventures are powerful, aren't they? For sure. But I'd like to ask you about something a little bit different. It's more about the leadership aspect, really, because many leaders now, whether they are working in their own countries or not, are now leading people who are coming from all over the world. And we're so mobile this um, these days that it's, you know, it's really not unusual, is it, to have very, very international teams. And we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion. And I just wondered, what have you learned about diversity and inclusion as an expat and now in your work as an expat coach? Fundamentally, I think people want to be seen and heard because that makes them feel valued and respected. So on both fronts, both as an employee working overseas or with an international team and as a coach, I think just stepping outside of your personal and professional norm, your world that you're used to and experiencing a different culture broadens your perspective. So in most cases, it increases your appreciation for diversity and inclusion, I believe, when you either interact regularly with people from other cultures in your home country, or you yourself go and live overseas. The one thing I really learned as an expat was that I had to enter the assignment with curiosity. I went in there, as I said, I was working for the subsidiary and um, I really let them know that I saw them as the local experts. And then I wanted to understand how they viewed their opportunities and challenges that I expected them to teach me. And that was a little bit of a challenge because of the way business is done in Japan, but I think it helped build some trust. And so when I did start to make recommendations for changes, it was done more collaboratively because everyone felt like they had a voice. And now with the coaching, I feel like there's so many rich voices out there on social media. I'm still learning. I've lived in the Middle East, in Asia, in Europe, I'm from the US, like, but I'm still learning every day when I'm online, I'm on Clubhouse having conversations with people all over the world. And I find that so fulfilling. And with my clients, especially the ones that are stuck, I think sometimes when we're in a country and it's not coming easily to us, we put sort of a negative filter on. So a a lot of times what I do with my clients is try to help them see their host country more positively. Also try to figure out how they can be more inclusive and also get themselves to be included in different activities and events and friendship circles. And that I think with the coaching side of it, it's really a matter of focusing on how to see things from a different perspective so that you can understand the differences and appreciate them. Yes. And that idea of using curiosity as the basis of that. I think that really helps to get people to take those steps and maybe forget about lack of confidence as well. I just want to come back to something because I know that you work with families who relocate not only internationally, but also domestically. Do you think that they can also learn from your experiences and how? I do. I mean, I've become the person in my social network that people call when they're moving, even if it's not overseas. And actually had a friend call me last week who said that she's moving after 20 years in the same city. And she was asking me all kinds of detailed experiences. And she kept saying, oh, I know this must not seem like a big deal to you because it's just domestic, but it is a big deal because a move is a move and it's very disruptive. I mean, you have to figure out all the details and you have to create a whole new life. And I mean, I live in a big country. 
story, this friend of mine is moving from the Midwest to the South. It's very different culturally. So there's basically going to be the same adjustment that she's going to have to go through as if she was moving to a different country. And, and do you think that takes people by surprise a little bit? I do. And actually, in this conversation, we were having a few of the things that I pointed out. She just kind of stopped and said, oh, I wouldn't have really thought about that. So I mean, that sort of validated that it's true. I think that people just assume, okay, I have to focus on the details. I have to hire the movers. I have to figure out where we're going to stay until we can get into our new home and figure out the schools. But they don't think about the fact that they're giving up their support network, that some of the things that they're used to doing or buying or using, they're not going to be able to get, even though you're in the same country, if there's still a lot of regional differences. So thinking about all of this in advance, or at least having the awareness that things will be different, even if you don't know exactly what they are, makes it a bit easier. And so when you're working with people who are planning their moves, or they're coming up to their moves in a very practical way, what do you advise them to start with? The first thing is, is get organized, because there's so many details, and it can add so much stress, especially when you're moving overseas, because a lot of times there's just a lot of legal issues or government forms and that sort of thing that can really be a holdup. When we were trying to move to Abu Dhabi, we realized that we had thrown away my daughter's Japanese birth certificate because it was was 100% in Japanese and we'd been doing a big post-move purge and we just assumed it was because it didn't have a note on it. All the other important Japanese papers had a post-it note on it that said like, do not throw this away because this is what it is. And we threw it away. We had to get a copy of her birth certificate created. And I mean, it was almost held up our move. That's an example of how, you know, you really need to be detailed, like figure it out, schedule it out, hire people, outsource, you know, do whatever you have to do, depending on how much time and also divide and conquer. I think a lot of times the partner takes on the majority of it. If your children are old enough, they can be helping too. It's just a way of making everybody feel like they're contributing to this family adventure. I also mentioned earlier about networking before you go. And I think, you you know, if you sit down, you say to yourself, who and what do I need to know before we go? That makes it a lot easier to reach out to your network or online and see who can help you. And, you know, it's always nice to have a few coffees lined up for when you first arrive. It just makes you feel like it's going to be okay. And, you know, you can ask your questions. My daughter has a nut allergy. So the first thing I did was get online and start researching what the situation would be with nut allergies. You know, are the schools supportive? What's the local cuisine like? I actually found really valuable resources on internations. The last thing is awareness. Just be aware that your life is going to be disrupted. Give yourself grace. I think during these times, it's important to really still focus on your self-care because you need your energy and your strength to get through this. So continue to exercise, continue to plan downtime and fun times, eat well, and just enjoy the journey. A lot of it's all about the people and the experience. So even though you have a lot to do, you need to take the time to say your goodbyes to people in places and just keep going. Yes. One day at a time, isn't it? I would say from personal experience. That's for sure. My final question to you, Linda, just to ask you a final top tip to leaders who are thinking of taking on an expat contract. What would you say to them? I would say make sure that you know what you're getting into beyond the job, because I've seen so many expat families jump on an opportunity full of excitement almost like they think they're going to be on vacation for the three to five years or however long the assignment is going to last. Or the expat is so excited about the career move that the family focuses in on that and doesn't think about the practical things that are going to happen when they move. So it's not a vacation. I would say once the honeymoon period wears off, I've seen some expats get bitter, you know, saying things like the company promised me this, or I thought about, I thought this would happen and so on. So I think key factors to look at are lifestyle. What are you using? 
used to and what's it going to be like in the new place? Is that something that you can handle? I mean, when we moved to London, I wanted, I pictured myself living in central London, but where my husband's job was, we couldn't do that. Or he would have been commuting an hour and a half, two hours each way. Also, can you get the medical care you need? I mentioned that my daughter has a nut allergy that entailed a lot of research before we could make a move. The schooling adequate. It's one thing if your kids are in preschool or maybe younger elementary years, but if your kids are in high school and thinking about university, then you have to think about, are they going to be able to get the education that they need? And then finally, who will cover your responsibilities at home? Like, do you have aging parents? Are there other people that can help support them while you're gone? Finally, do you have an exit plan? If it doesn't work out, and even if it does work out, a lot of companies don't guarantee you a job at the end of your assignment. So you need to be thinking, what am I going to do career-wise once this assignment starts to wind down. The key is to be aware that there are things to think about and that'll help make it a bit smoother for the transition and or even just the decision-making. It's really interesting. And I'd just like to add a, another quick question, if I may, on the end, because you mentioned about the following employment opportunity. And I'm just wondering, what do you see in your experience? Is working overseas, is it still viewed very positively in the job market? Is it something that still helps people to move on with their careers? In general, I would say yes. I mean, I will tell you, when I went to Japan that first time and I had every intention of holding on to my career, when we moved back to the US and I was interviewing, people wanted to hear about everything but the work I did for the company I worked for. They wanted to know where I traveled, what I ate, what it was like to live in Tokyo. I mean, I actually had a decent number of opportunities. And I think part of it was that I I was able to really tell a story. I think what it comes down to is you need to be able to tell a story of what you gained during your time abroad beyond just the work skills. You know, I know many, my husband and many other people, they sort of get a reputation in their industry for being the international person. And so I think that opens up opportunities that wouldn't have existed if you had never moved outside of your country. I think the the story around it and beyond the work is fascinating, isn't it? And probably that's it's also true of people who are not moving internationally as well to think about what you're learning outside of a job anyway. Oh, definitely. And you know, you never know what's going to happen when you're living overseas. I mean, it's, it's true leadership when there's a major earthquake and you fly right back into it and lead the team through the disaster. I mean, there's things that you'll experience living overseas that you may not experience in your own country. So it's important to actually be able to pull those types of unique experiences into your your CVs. Well, thank you so much, Linda. It's been so interesting hearing all your experiences and and your perspective on life as an expat and as a spouse following an expat. So thank you so much. If listeners wish to contact you, what's the best way to find you online? My website is theexpatpartnercoach.com and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. It's at the expat partner coach and I can be emailed at the expat partner coach at gmail.com if anyone would like to contact Linda just hop over to the show notes and you'll find those links there well thank you so much Linda and it's been just a lovely conversation and a great to talk to you about something that's also very close to my experience as well thanks to you our listeners for joining us and if you've enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to help us grow it please hop over to Apple Podcasts and rate review subscribe and share So just a little bit about me. I work with all types of global companies from luxury brands to education establishment to charitable foundations in the UK, the US, Switzerland, Belgium, France and Ireland, providing one-to-one coaching and group training. I also work on a private basis with senior leaders and executives who want to get clarity on their own purpose and have a great impact beyond their organisation. So 
if you would like some more details around the work that I do, please visit our website, www.bluebottlecoaching.com. So in the meantime, I will just say that thank you for joining us once again. And this is Anne Collins. And do join me again soon to meet another inspiring leader who loves what they do. Goodbye.